0: At the end of this chaotic but also reflective week on Capitol Hill with the House Speaker's Battle and the January 6th anniversary, we turn to the analysis of Brooks and Cape. That's New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capart, Associate Editor for the Washington Post. Good to see you both. Great to see you. Yeah, now. So it took four days over a dozen rounds of votes for Kevin McCarthy to just break the logjam to try to work towards getting the votes to become speaker. He hasn't done it yet, as we sit here and speak right now. But, David, let's talk about the holdouts, the ones who have consistently the small number of members who consistently oppose him and still do. Are they just anti McCarthy? Are they never going to back
1: him? I don't think they're anti McCarthy. I think there are two schools. Chip Roy, who we saw earlier in the program, a congressman with a goatee, um, he, um, he, he does want to change the rules. And there's a case to be made that Congress needs reform. Most of them are not like that. And in my view, it's wrong to call them very conservative. There are a lot of Republicans who are very conservative. These are nihilists. They came here and they're quite open about that, especially with their friends. And they say, we just want to burn the place down. And we normally think, that those of us who go into even into journalism, or go into p- political life for sure, that you have some positive agenda, <laughs> like you want to do something good for the country. That is absent uh, in these people. It's a, it's a posture of, of rejection, a posture of negativity. And so they just want to be negative, be oppositional, and then go on TV and say everyone else is screwed up. Uh, and so this is a form of nihilism. That is in the Republican Party. It's certainly in the, the conservative media sphere. Tucker Carlson was very much on these guys' side, and it's a, it's something really that's a menace to the health of that party.
0: You agree with that assessment? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's there is nothing to add really to to what David said. I mean, the fact that there's going to be another vote, maybe tonight, maybe tonight he really McCarthy breaks the logjam and gets the two eighteen that he needs but nihilists don't care about this schedule they don't care about the timetable they don't care that folks won't get paychecks because there's no officially no congress they want to blow stuff up and what better way to blow stuff up than to with each vote destroy the dreams hopes and aspirations of Kevin McCarthy so
0: whether it's McCarthy or someone else can anyone govern this caucus
2: at this point no with the rules package that they just released m- moments ago Whoever the next speaker is, is going to be beholden to the Freedom Caucus, beholden to these nihilists.
0: If you have a number of these Freedom Caucus members on the Rules Committee, right? If you have uh, Kevin McCarthy, we understand reportedly has already allowed them to lower the threshold, it's going to be really easy to get rid of the speaker if they want to. What does that mean for the next two years?
1: Yeah, well, the Rules Committee is the one that really strikes me. That's the committee that schedules, that controls the floor. Uh, and so it's just going to be a lot easier if you get those that many people in the Rules Committee for them to just block things. And uh, so it could be nothing will happen <laughs> in this Congress, just because they have the ability to block. But the thing, and I think Jonathan mentioned this last week, that absolutely has to happen is we have to raise the debt ceiling sometime around July. And if we do that, the full faith and credit of the, if you don't do it, the full faith and credit of the United States is... Is destroyed. So they're going to want to attach all sorts of riders to that, that the Democrats will not accept a balanced budget amendment, things like that. And that means it's highly unlikely. I don't see how they get a debt ceiling raised in this summer with this political landscape. And that would be catastrophic.
0: I mean, that's a remarkable thing to say.
1: Yeah, we've had the fight. I think in 2011, there was yep. a fight about it, but uh, sanity prevailed. And we are the last best hope of Earth, but we're no longer sure sanity's going to prevail. So, um, so that's what we're staring at.
0: Dare I even ask, how do you think this ends? Just this this round of of the battle for the speakership?
2: Oh, I look. Hope springs eternal. I think McCarthy will will eke it out. But what will it mean, really? He'll be speaker in name only, living under threat of of being removed. Every moment of his life, the moment he gets the gavel. And to your point, my biggest fear is the debt ceiling. The only thing we can hope is that Kevin McCarthy would have enough guts and fortitude to go to Leader Jeffries and say, "I need 212 of your people to vote for raising the debt limit, and I will bring six, and we can take care of this." But if he does that, he's done.
0: Do you see that happening?
1: No, but you know, I think the, the main threat for any. Normal mainstream conservative Republican is the threat is the, the 20 on the right. The threat is not a bunch of moderate Democrats. Right? <laughs> and so, if I was McCarthy, and this would be a political ender in this, this world, I would just go to 40 Democrats and say, What do you want? Let's do that. And it seems unrealistic, but there are a bunch of states right now that are doing that, where they have an independent speaker, where they've, they've uh, had leaders in the state legislatures who are not of the ruling party, or they've cut deals bipartisan deal so it, it's plausible in a universe other than our own
0: <laughs> i mean there's a bipartisan model we can point to this week right when you see it was pretty pretty dramatic split screen to see president biden and mitch mcconnell standing before what they call a legislative miracle right that bipartisan infrastructure bill that's going to yield a big big build a bridge project rather in kentucky that's a really dramatic contrast we saw
1: yeah, I mean, and this is the line, the threshold that needs to be drawn. You can like Mitch McConnell, not like Mitch McConnell. Like Joe Biden, not Mitch. They're professionals, and they have a sense of basic honesty and decency. You might not elect George Bush, you might elect like Barack Obama. They were admirable human beings. Um, we're not seeing that. But the threshold we've sunk below that threshold among some, a lot of people in Congress.
0: Meanwhile, we should note, as we did earlier, different kind of chaos, right? On Capitol Hill, two years ago, we marked the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection today. I'm curious, the further away you get from that day, how you view it now?
2: Um, I still view it with trepidation. Um, we... I mean, just think about it. Two years ago today, we saw thousands of people instigated by the then president of the United States who stormed the Capitol, trying to overturn a free and fair election. Exactly two years later, we're still seeing chaos in the House of Representatives, when the party of that president, a lot of whom voted not to certify the 2020 election, new folks who came in running on the big lie, going after Kevin McCarthy. And not voting for him and rendering the place into chaos as part of, to my mind, the ongoing insurrection. What happened on January 6, 2021, is still happening. And I think, you know, to set up a contrast, this split screen moment that we're in in this country at opposite ends of Pennsylvania Avenue. At one end, you have got the president of the United States working with the Senate minority leader, Republican, on bipartisan infrastructure, whatever, showing what governance can look like when opposing parties come together for the good of the country. And at the other end uh, of Pennsylvania Avenue in the Capitol, they can't 14 ballots so far and still don't have, don't, don't have a speaker. It's just an ongoing... Um, It's an ongoing insurrection, and I don't see when we, when the party gets out of it, the Republican Party gets out of it, or we as a nation get out of it.
0: David, among Republicans, that election lie that drove Trump supporters to the insurrection that day—that's still very potent, right? Yeah,
1: I think they're sort of moving on beyond Trump, but they still say it was a lie, and so there's a lack of loyalty to the truth. And when I look on after two years, and now we have a longer time frame. So, I think about the gradual, all the doors the Republican Party and the country had to walk through to get to January 6. And to me, you know, I don't want to prettify the past. There was Father Coughlin. There was nativists. There's been a lot of ugliness in American history. But I would say, over the course of my lifetime, and, frankly, my at one time alliance with the Republican Party, um, there were a lot of doors they walked to that created what you might call a loss of moral knowledge that it was a, the panic of Rush Limbaugh, the, a lot of the, what happened to the white the Christian nationalists and the evangelical communities. There was a, on the radio, on TV, the rise of Tucker. Uh, and so it the standards of acceptable behavior went down and down and down. And the tolerance for violence went up and up and up. Mm-hmm. I read in Jonathan Fine section The Washington Post editorial today that number of threats to members of Congress has gone up tenfold since Donald Trump was elected. Ten thousand death threats to members of Congress. So that's just in the air, and that's not attached to one person. It's a virulent stream of ideas, and ideas have consequences. And bad ideas have January six.
2: And I would add that in all the examples they use, Tucker and Rush and, and everyone, what we had not seen up until Donald Trump was a sitting president of the United States. Well, first, a candidate for president of the United States who stirred that pot. Uh, and then who continued to stir that pot of our nation's you know, subterranean demons, bringing them uh, out in the open, and then doing it from the Oval Office. And that has a power that I think we're still reckoning with, the idea that a, a leader of this country, someone who's supposed to lead all of us, was using that platform, that bully pulpit, to actually bully people, specific people in this country. And that's why we've seen, I think, threats against members of Congress or elected officials go through the roof. Because if the President of the United States can do it, why can't I?
0: It's been a remarkable, remarkable two years. So much has happened. But as you know, it took a long, long time to get here. It will take years to unravel and mm-hmm. fix a lot of this. Jonathan Capehart, David Brooks, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Amna.